I add my welcome to the welcome you've already received. Uh, great to see you all here today. Um, yeah. Man, I, uh, I got a confession to make. I feel really crummy this morning. I've had this massive cold all weekend. I was praying with David, Lord, oh, see me in my affliction. That's what I was praying this morning when I got up. Um, and so, uh, I don't know if you had, have you had anybody been sick recently with the head deal? Yeah? When I'm singing today, I, I'm sure the people around me, I'm, I apologize. Because I was probably just slightly off tune. Sounded better, didn't it? Makes you feel okay. Well, it's like one of these things where even now I, I, I'm getting feedback in my own head as I talk. So, anyway. Uh, yeah, it'll be all right. It could be a really terrible sermon, but whatever. I uh, wanted to, uh, just before we get into the message today, I wanted to, our sympathies to, to Naomi Schmidt. Naomi's father passed away this uh, Thursday, I believe, and uh, he's been quite ill, had been in palliative care for, for some time, and, and, uh, but uh, let's be praying for Dan and Naomi uh, in this season of loss for them. Uh, her dad had come, uh, lived in North Vancouver and, and uh, knew the Lord and had uh, come to church here at Hillside on several occasions. And uh, um, so we're grieving with, uh, with our dear friend, Naomi. Uh, let's, let's pause. Let's uh, invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us this morning. God, you're so good. We, uh, we sang that song, Father, uh, today. Great are you, Lord. And here's the deal. You're great even when we feel crummy. You're great when, even when we're suffering or when it's dark out or when the sky is, seems to be falling. Lord, you're, you're our, our, our hope. Your greatness is, is really summed up in your goodness, Lord. There's just no one like you. Your love, uh, Lord, is unfailing. And uh, this morning we, uh, we gather together, uh, Lord, just longing to get into the flow of, of your life and your spirit and uh, your path for our lives. And uh, we know on our own we're kind of hooped, but with you uh, there is great joy and uh, a great ending to our stories. So this morning would you speak to us? I pray you'd bless each person here today, God. Uh, anoint our hearts, then we might uh, respond to your voice. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's the AGM in a few hours, and uh, I got to say, um, I remember this week how AGMs, how God has, has used AGMs in the history of this church in really amazing ways, actually. It's kind of surprising, um, but uh, Hillside Community Church is partially a result of, of how God kind of broke into a, an AGM of a church plant in Coquitlam uh, in, in 1998, in 1995, and how uh, God kind of set some things in motion at an AGM that resulted in the merger of Evergreen Community Church with, with Austin Avenue Chapel, which became Hillside. And then in the, the, the years since, in the 23 years of, of Hillside's history, uh, consistently God has uh, proven himself faithful, and, and one of the ways he's used that is through sort of the, the, the business side, the, the sort of structural side of church life, and I'm, I'm really grateful for that. And today at our AGM, we're going to be celebrating just 2017 was a notable year. I mean, there were some significant things that happened in our body this last year, and we're going to celebrate that. And at the end of my message today, I just want to give you a heads up that we're going to be welcoming uh, new members. We're going to invite them up to the front. We're going to pray for them. 
this, this morning we have 19 in both of our services, 19 new members joining Hillside. Isn't that cool? Really great. Well, we're in this, uh, as you know, we're in this series in the book of Acts, and part of the genius of this book is it's basically filled with incredible stories of these great people, and we're going to meet one today, but speaking of people, I like what Linus once said in a Peanuts cartoon. He says, I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. <laughs> there, there are some people, though, that in your life, that when they're with you, they, they fill your tank. They, they breathe life into you. They just, by being in your presence, they remind you of how good God is. They call you to live to the best that you can be. And, and when you're with them, you find that your stress and anxiety go down and your hope and your faith kind of go up. Um, I think it was Tom Rath who kind of coined a phrase to describe this kind of thing, that, that, that kind of person being a balcony person. The idea is you're, you're running in a race and they're up in the stands in the balcony cheering you on in your race. And some people do that for you. They are, they are your balcony people. And when you're with them, they just fill you up. And of course, you have other people in your life. You might say that they, when you're not looking, stick a, a hose in your tank and siphon the life right out of you. You know, <laughs> they drain you of life. These have been called basement people because they bring you down. Some of you are thinking of the basement person in your life right now. Hopefully you're not sitting right next to them. Let me, let me tell you a story that illustrates this. Uh, a man has a barber, and he tells him about his life, his, his family, his, his everything when he, when he visits. The barber is, however, one of these guys who is never impressed. He's never excited about anything. And the day comes when the man, this man is going to Italy to visit the Pope. And uh, his barber is a Catholic, so he's sure his, his barber will be excited about this. And he tells him, but the barber says, big deal. You won't see the Pope. You won't even be, he'll be far, far away. Well, the guy goes to Italy, and he comes back, and he goes to get his hair cut, and he says to the barber, you'll never believe this, but I got to meet the Pope. The barber says, you didn't. I did. I was in the receiving line, and I went right past his chair. I, I got to shake his hand. I, I knelt down in front of him. I took his hand, and I, I kissed his ring. I bowed my head before him, and the Pope spoke to me. And the barber's impressed in spite of himself. And he says, what did the Pope say? He said, where'd you get that lousy haircut? <laughs> it's pretty good, eh, Well, I think so. You needed to laugh. We have, uh, we have some of those folks in our lives, right? You know, they, they uh, are kind of joy challenged. They're kind of, you know, dream squashers. Instead of when you bring, present a dream to them, they don't say, wow. They say that'll never work, <laughs> right? You ever, you know, you know that? And they kind of suck the life right out of you. And we're to, don't get me wrong, we're to love them. But we're to guard our hearts. And here's the thing that, that we might not be so open to admit. All of us have the potential to be basement people for others. There's a basement person, I'd suggest, that is in each and every one of us. And obviously, that's not God's vision for our lives. That's not his, his purpose for us. And in this, uh, in this series in, in Acts, we've been looking at the early days of the church and how, how church is not supposed to be a place where you 
come once a week and, and just sit in a service. It's about forming these little Jesus communities that, that do life together, <laughs> that kind of journey together. And, and, and how each of us, as, as we're kind of on our own race, running the race of our lives, you know, we're to be a, in the balcony cheering on our brothers and sisters as they, they run their one and only race. We're to, to be that to one another. And when it happens, when we do that, when, when we're balcony people for each other, it's just so good. It's what we're called to be as a church. I think of uh, last week, um, man, a, a week ago Monday mornings. Anyone really dislike Monday mornings generally? They, they, can, be, they can be hard, right? I, I see, we're a pretty good positive Monday crowd. Some of you are retired. You're going, Mondays? What's Monday? It's like Sunday or Tuesday. What's a Monday? I hate you guys. Uh, did I say that out loud? I love you retired folk who gloat in your retiredness. Uh, last Monday, a, a week ago Monday, I was feeling quite overloaded in my life, and uh, that day in particular, I was feeling burdened, and uh, one of the burdens I was carrying is I, I lead, uh, I give some leadership to our Tri-City Pastors Association, we call it the Tri-City Ministerial, and I was to be meeting with kind of the core team that day to kind of set direction for the next number of months, and uh, I was feeling kind of burdened by this, and we went out and had lunch together, uh, and uh, as we're sitting there having lunch, I found mysteriously my burden was kind of dissipating, and my spirits were lifting, and I came away encouraged as my three brothers spoke into my life and, and spoke into our ministry together. And I, and I recognized as I was preparing for this message, I was realizing that those guys are my balcony. They're, 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 they're my balcony people. The next day, I, I was still feeling kind of burdened. And I, I had a full, full week that week. And I was like going, how am I ever going to get ready to, to give my talk this, the next Sunday? Pastors have that, that seven-day cycle goes awfully quick for us speakers. And on Tuesday, I'm feeling kind of burdened about that. And, and I prayed with a friend. And... Uh, I felt a little better, but later in the day, my friend sent me a text, <laughs> and, and uh, it was kind of a text from God. It was, it was written from God's perspective, and it was telling me that, hey, Jesus hasn't let you down ever, Derwin, and he's not going to start today. And, and he went on and on and on and saying just how you can do it, and God's got this, and it's going to be okay. And I, I got to tell you, I read that text every day, sometimes three times a day, and on Sunday morning, last Sunday morning when I got up to, just before I got up to preach, I, I pulled out my phone and I reread that text. That's the power of encouragement. And really, this is what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about encouragement. Because really, encouragement is the language of the New Testament. The word encourage is used more than a hundred times. And, and, and one of the great encouragers in the Bible, and, and who we might call the patron saint of, of balcony people is a guy named Barnabas. And, and actually, we find out most about his life. He's mentioned elsewhere, but we find about, out about him in Acts. And we're going to look at him. And I believe that God this morning is going to use the example of Barnabas to in, both encourage us and inspire us to be encouragers. So, so let's, let's dive in. Uh, we meet Barnabas for the first time in the fourth chapter of Acts. Uh, Pastor Dave Wood talked about, a little bit about this story back in the fall. But here's how Barnabas' story starts. It says, Joseph, 
a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, sold a field he owned and, bought, and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Joseph was a Levite. Levites were one of the 12 tribes of Israel, and in this day, they would have served as assistants to the priests in the temple. And they, they might be doorkeepers or, or musicians or something like that. But, but Joseph, he wouldn't have been allowed to do these things. He was from Cyprus, and he hadn't been born in Israel. He was a, what, you, what they called a Hellenist. And Hellenists were, were Israelites who were born overseas, and they were, they were kind of thought of as foreigners, thought of as uh, sort of second-class Jews, uh, infected by Gentile ways. And we know from Acts 6 that there was some, some actual hostility between the, the, the Greek Jew, Jews and the, the other Jews, and, and we, we might expect that Joseph would be kind of feeling disenfranchised or feeling kind of sour about this, but, but Joseph's a balcony guy. And he becomes part of this new community and he sees a need and he sees the poverty that's going on among, among the Greek widows in the church. And he says, I've, I've got some property and I could sell some and I could give the money to the church and help some people out with it. And you know what? He becomes the first recorded donor, really ever, in the church that is, when you think of the billions of dollars through the years that have been given to, to churches and missions and, and universities and hospitals, it got, all, it got to start right here. And it doesn't do it to be a big shot. That I like the, the phrase here. It says, the text just says, he laid the money at the, the apostles' feet. The idea being no strings attached. You know, I, I, he, he didn't fill out the designated line on the offering envelope. He just said, you'll know best what to do with it. Just, you don't, you don't have to put a building with my name on it. Just use this to, to bless people. I, I'm telling you, there's an encouragement that comes when somebody just simply gives. I, I, I've seen so many examples of this over, years, over the years. I could, we could spend the whole morning talking about those kind of stories of people who, who just simply give. Somebody just a couple of weeks ago came up to me and said, Derwin, I would love to send to the, the father uh, child camp. If there's somebody that can't afford to go, please, could you arrange? I'd love to pay for them to go. I'd like to just take care of that. An awesome story. Um, some of you will remember, and I was remembering to someone this week, how here on a Sunday morning uh, after our humongous garage sale on the Saturday, uh, Marg Stevens came and brought me a blackberry pie freshly, freshly baked. And uh, in the spur of the moment, I auctioned that pie off in church. And someone bought it. And they gave it back, after the end of the first service, they gave it back to me. And so I auctioned it again in the second service. And we made $200 that Sunday morning on this pie that, this piece, this pie that we, we sold in church. And then later that year at our Rome of Africa event, we, we sold another of Mark's pies for $750. And, uh, but that's nothing to the, the, the pie that somebody could buy to put in my face, the cream pie that went for $2,000. <laughs> And then uh, an additional 500 on top of that to have somebody lick the pie off my face. I mean, we made a lot of money on, on three pies that year. My goodness. But that's what an encouragement that kind of generosity is. Some of you have known that joy, the joy of, of simply giving, the joy of thinking I've got something, I could just give it away. Some of you, you, you you've not just given, you've given sacrificially. And, and let me say, when you do that, you are... I would suggest you're putting yourself in touch with a spiritual power when that happens. 
I mean, Jesus later in Acts is quoted in, in Acts 20 saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's not the message we get from our world, is it? Rather, we, we, we get most persistently and, and, and subversively the opposite message. It's better to buy. It's better to, to receive. It's, it's better to hoard. This is countercultural to us. But we give an, an interesting thing happens. It, it, it puts us in touch with, with the deeper realities of the kingdom of God. I mean, people who give, they, even though they now have less money, they worry less than those who don't give. They really do. You'd think they'd worry more. But something happens when they give. I was remembering another friend of mine uh, this week. He's retired now. And uh, he told me how years ago the Lord was really speaking to him about giving. And he saw a need in the church and he was wondering how he could contribute to that need. And what came to his mind was his retirement contribution. And uh, this was uh, like weird and out of the blue because he had heard the message that most of us have heard. Financial advisors will tell you when you invest in your retirement, you invest and forget, right? And as he prayed about it, he couldn't get that out of his mind. And so that year, he actually took what was his RRSP contribution for that year and he gave it to this need in the church. And my friend, uh, you know, Logically, according to the finance guys, this doesn't make sense, but this guy, what he was doing was he was pulling a Barnabas. And in the years since, I would suggest that this, this friend of mine has been on a, an adventure of joyful generosity, freedom from worry. And to boot, I've seen his giving actually change lives and transform our community here. You see, when giving begins, we never know what will happen. We put ourselves in the flow of a, a kingdom reality that is much bigger than we are. By the way, Jesus talked about money a lot. Money was an idol in his day. And it's been an idol in our world every day since. And it is sometimes an idol in the lives of his followers. And uh, pastors feel kind of awkward about talking about money because it can come across self-serving. Um, I get paid by donations, offerings, right? Um, so it f- feels kind of weird. But I want to just really set aside the awkwardness of that and challenge you to give. Because I, I really do believe Jesus when he said, it is more blessed for you to give than to receive. I, I really believe that if you develop a pattern of giving in your life, your life will be better than if you, ha- if you don't. And, and as you learn to give, it's, it's like a, a muscle, and you get better at it, and, and you're free to give away more and more and more. And, and I, I tell you, it just becomes a, a, an adventure that, that God leads you on. And, and so I want to challenge us as individuals and as a church body to continue to give away as many resources, of much as, of our resources, to kingdom work as we can, to continue to grow in us. It's an opportunity to, to test God and, and to see how he provides to grow ourselves and our church and to put ourselves in the flow of God's kingdom. Or we could buy more stuff. And you know where that ends up? As my sons would say, it ends up at VV Boutique, Valley Village. That's what we call it, though. It sounds fancy. Well, the man named Joseph does this, and the disciples said, Joe is not an adequate name for this guy, and we're going to have to give him a new name. Barnabas, by the way, means son of encouragement. 
Think of this. From then on, whenever he thinks, whenever, whenever Barnabas now hears his name, he, he thinks, that's who I am. That's who I want to be. He, he encourages the community, and the community encourages him, and the, the, the encouragement just kind of spirals up. And I got to say, that's just how encouragement works. It becomes infectious, and it creates a great environment and ethos. That's how giving works. Well, then Barnabas disappears, and the, and the next time that we see him is in Acts chapter 9, and, and we briefly talked about this guy Saul last week. Um, and Saul had been, as we heard about, was terrorizing believers. And he's actively searching for Christians door to door to kind of imprison them. And, and Paul, we'll find out next Sunday, actually has this in, dramatic encounter with God. He meets Jesus on the, on the road to Damascus, and he repents of his ways, and he actually trusts Christ. But then he has a problem. Verse 26 of chapter 9 says, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. Here's a guy who's, who's threatened, imprisoned, and killed husbands and wives and brothers and sisters. No one was going to touch him with a 10-foot pole, <coughs> except for Barnabas. Thanks, darling. Excuse me. I, I'm, I'm having flashback memories of my dad who was a hanky guy and he'd whip out his hanky and, 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 and from the front, he was a preacher too. And so I, I remember him, he was just really great. This folded, anyway, that's my memory. I'll carry on. It was a good nostalgic moment for me. Here's the thing about uh, balcony people, and here's something we learned from Barnabas here. They can give you a wonderful gift. They believe with God's help, you can change. <laughs> that is a, a wonderful gift for a person, and, and, and they don't let who, who you were yesterday limit who you might be today, or, or might you, <coughs> excuse me, you might come tomorrow. What a fabulous gift. This, this is, oh, and I've got uh, hot water there, it's good. Yeah. I'm all right. I read your brain. It's a sweet brain, by the way. She's been in like Florence Nightingale this weekend for me, so. Um, Barnabas, what he does is he takes a risk on Saul and he becomes his friend and he gets to know him and he just kind of decides to believe the best and to see the best and to, to call it out. And he goes to the, the, church, the broader church and he says, this is Saul. I mean, look at the change in his life. Look at what happened between him and God. Look at how he's devoting his, his life to the gospel. Take it from me. <laughs> he can be trusted. And, and because Barnabas was Saul's advocate, the disciples, were told, embraced him. We're, we're, we're told, in, it says that Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. And it makes me wonder, what if Saul didn't have Barnabas? I mean, imagine History would be different. His acceptance is a result of one balcony person who gave him the wonderful gift of starting over. And I wonder this morning, is there someone in your life that you're meant to give that gift to right now in this season that you're in? Maybe it's somebody who's let you down or disappointed you. Maybe it's somebody who's got a reputation is there somebody that God is calling you to believe in again? To give a second chance to, or a third chance to? 
You can do that for somebody. Barnabas disappears again until another critical moment in the life of the church. And we read in Acts 9.19, it says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. You kind of have to see the, the, the drama of this moment. This is a, a massive point in, in human history. Up until this point, the good news of Jesus had essentially spread among Jews, the Jewish people. But this is where some daring soul says, if it's good for Israel, then it might be good for the Gentiles. And so they start crossing this, this huge ethnic barrier and begin sharing Christ with, with Gentiles. And amazingly, these, these Gentiles respond and they become Jesus followers and a church becomes rooted in, in the city of Antioch. And the way it gets back to J- Jerusalem is we're, we're not so sure about this. It's going kind of Gentile. And if we let the Gentiles in, you know, it's going to change everything. By the way, religious communities are not always welcome to change. Do you know how many Baptists it takes to change a light bulb? Change? What change? Who said anything about change? So in this passage, everything hinges on this question. Who will they send from Jerusalem to check this out? Who will be the ambassador they send to kind of give an analysis of the situation? And they send Barnabas. I think this is so cool. It's just so Barnabas. We're told in Acts 11, when he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Isn't that, isn't that a great passage? What a great gift he, he brings to that new Gentile church. And, and Barnabas, I think, at this moment realizes that there's so much spiritual opportunity happening there that he needs some help. He's going to need some backup. And he's going to need somebody who, who knows the scriptures. He's going to need somebody who can speak to the Gentiles. Somebody with passion and with energy. And, and Barnabas remembers Saul from some time back. And this is kind of ironic because no one has been more Jewish than Saul. I mean, Saul had been a religious leader, a Pharisee, but Barnabas says, I see something in Paul that could work here, that could kind of develop here. And and Saul, we know, would become Paul. Why? Well, Saul was the Jewish version of his name. Paul was the Greek version of his name. Simple as that. And Saul, now Paul, would go on to become the great missionary to the Gentiles, to the rest of the world. Paul would change the world, but it only happened because of Barnabas. Balcony people, I would suggest, can see things in others that nobody else can see, even those people sometimes can't see it in themselves. Gordon McKenzie um, was a Canadian artist uh, who talks about this. McKenzie uh, worked for 30 years as a creativity director. (coughs) Excuse me at Hallmark, and during those years, he uh, would go around and and give creativity workshops at schools, elementary schools. At each of these schools, he'd ask the kids up front, he says, how many of you, how many artists are there in the room? That's what he'd ask. And he said the pattern of of responses really never varied. In, In the first grade, when he was asked, when they were asked how many artists in the room, 
the little kids would, all of their arms would wave like maniacs. He said in the second grade, half the kids would raise their hands. In the third, third grade, a third of the kids would raise their hands. And by the sixth grade, one or two children would tentatively raise their hand when they asked whether they were artists or not. His, his point was, is he, he suggested that schools seem to be in the business or involved in the suppression of creative genius. And after all his, his experience, he came to this conclusion. He says, my guess is that there was a time, perhaps when you were very young, when you had at least a fleeting notion of your own genius and were just waiting for some authority figure to come along and validate for it for you. But none ever came. It's probably true for some of you. Um, a few weeks ago, when we had our Leader's Edge, we listened to a talk by Bill Hybels, and Bill Hybels talked about how he led in this classroom prank that got him into serious trouble with the teacher. He led the entire class in kind of slamming their desks together at the same moment, and it freaked the teacher out, and he got seriously rebuked and detentions and all that stuff. But the teacher went on to say to him, do you know what, Bill? You're a leader. You've got a leadership gift. And you ought to, you, ought to, you know, steward that. I mean, that's something you ought to take seriously. You have a leadership gift. And, and it's interesting, uh, since that talk that we watched right, right afterwards and, and then uh, within the next week, I, I had a couple hillsiders who I consider to be leaders in this congregation confess to me that no one ever called that out in them. No one ever, when they were young, they never heard you're a leader or you might be something. And I wonder for some of us, you're kind of still waiting in some senses for somebody to speak what is uniquely you and call it out of you and say you're something and you're a gift that the world needs. And you know what, as God opens up doors for us as a church to minister in our city in, in greater ways, some of you have this gift that Barnabas had, and, and some of you have gifts of being able to see potential in other people, to see creative genius in other people, to see opportunity and to see need. And I, I just gotta say, we need you. We need people who are able to, to have Barnabas gifts who will have a vision for how God can change a life and use a life. Balcony people see potential and, and they call it out. If you're a parent, do this for your kids. Name what you're seeing. The good things too, right? Name it. God's entrusted most of us with some geniuses in our life that we, are, we can speak into and call out uh, life from them. So Barnabas says, Paul, I want you to come with me and we'll do ministry together. And then, and then this kind of interesting thing happens. In the ancient world, generally, it's pretty significant to look at the order of their names when the deeds of people doing something together are recorded. That order tells you who's in charge, tells you who's the boss, uh, tells you who holds the prestige. And we see in Acts what you would expect. For a whole year, Barnabas and, and Paul taught great numbers of people. Barnabas was the leader. We're told followers of Jesus who lived outside Jerusalem sent their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Paul. Then in Antioch, the Holy Spirit instructed the church leaders to set aside for me Barnabas and Saul for the work in which I've called them. But something happens in the process. 
Paul's gifts begin to grow, and he matures. And then in Acts chapter 14, it says, at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. Did you catch that? The orders, the names are switched. Now it's Paul who's, who's mentioned first. And uh, from a human standpoint, this is terrible. <laughs> Barnabas has done a bad job of career management, right? He hasn't positioned himself properly. The mission has been a great success. He, he, he should have been making sure he was getting credit. But not Barnabas. Barnabas is not jealous. He, he, he could have longed for Paul's status. Instead, you get the sense that Barnabas would rejoice in it. His joy is, is in recognizing and, and, and developing greatness in somebody else now. And Paul's ministry will go on to become far more visible than his own. And I would suggest nobody's happier about this than Barnabas. Jesus said it's going to be that way. Now the last are going to be first, and the greatest of all are going to be servants. That's what greatness is, and ultimately that, that's what joy is. It's not about clawing our, clawing our way to the top of fame and recognition and money. It, it's putting others ahead of ourselves. That's Jesus' kind of kingdom, you know? And Barnabas is a, a kingdom kind of guy. He's a balcony guy. He, he, he's helping make up there, come down here. And I, and I want to say we really... We, we need to be this for each other. We need to be balcony people for each other as a community. The little boy I, I read about in, in Reader's Digest, I, I think, got this. He said to his father, let's play darts. I'll throw, and you say wonderful. <laughs> this is all over the New Testament. Encourage one another. I mean, Hebrews, Hebrews 3 says, encourage one another daily, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. When we're not encouraged, sin begins to look good. Paul says, therefore encourage one another and build each other up, just in fa- as in fact you are doing that. I, I just want to say, you can do this. You can do this this week. You can be a Barnabas to the people at your work. You can say to yourself, this is going to be a Barnabas week. You can do it in your small group. You can, you can make your your small group, a balcony group. And if you're, you want to be in one, we'd love to connect you into one because I, we, we believe that, that we need that. You need that. Uh, and, and, and you're going to thrive and flourish based on having some of those people in your life. If you're a small group leader, I want to challenge you to keep on praying for each member of your group. Call out the best of each person and you be a Barnabas. You be a balcony leader. Well, to conclude, I want to show you a short film about what a community can be like when we are this for each other. It's titled, Some People. Let's, uh, let's watch the screen. care about themselves. No one cares about your stupid vacation. Some people treat others poorly. You would have anarchy. Anarchy. There's certain things that are right and there's certain things that are wrong. So don't believe what there's foolishness. Some people only care about the right. There are Some people don't seem worth the time. 
the truth is. Most people are just working to get by. Most people are terrified to reveal their scars. Most people are fighting an invisible battle. Most people are worth the effort. Because all people are created in the image of God. All people carry the glow of the divine. All people matter enough for God to become one of them. God thinks every person is worthy of love. Imagine if we did too. Let's be a church where everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect. And anything is possible. I think it's true. Anything is possible when a person steps out in love and practices the art of encouragement. Um, fascinating thing about Barnabas is he never tries to be great. He just tried to call out greatness in others. You know, you know the spread of the gospel, though, from one little tribe where it had been kind of a part of their, their history for a long time to the whole world, to you and to me, the, the, the writings of Paul, the, the, the writings of half of the New Testament, uh, happened because one man stood in the balcony and said, keep going, keep going, keep going, you can do it. And the kingdom, what, that's what greatness looks like. It, it's something that God does to you when you're looking the other way. Before we pray, can I just say one final thing? The main person who wants to be in your balcony cheering you on throughout your whole life is Jesus. He's the greatest balcony person ever. He, he, where, where the rest of the world has given up, he's the one who never will let you down and never will give up. He'll believe in the best in you. He can see the best in you. He wants to call out the best in you. And, and again, if you haven't begun that journey of a relationship with Jesus, you can do that. It's just a matter of, of kind of admitting your brokenness before him, your sin, and inviting him to, to lead your life and ask him, and he'll do that for you. He'll, he'll run the race with you and he'll become your, your forgiver and your savior and your leader and your friend. And he'll cheer you on for the rest of your days. Bow your heads with me. Let's pray. So Lord, this morning, thank you. Thank you for these, this example of Barnabas, God. Uh, Lord, um, what an encouragement to see a life like that that made such a difference by virtue of his generosity, uh, by virtue of his belief in others, God. Uh, Lord, the, the way he was willing to be humble and, and uh, celebrate the, the, the victories of others, Lord. Teach us what it means to be like that, Lord. To live life with open hands, generous hearts, 
Teach us to give, teach us to, to Lord, see potential in others. I think, Lord, this week, I, I have a sense that, that there's those that we're meant to become balcony people for. We're meant to, to call out uh, potential. We're may, maybe meant to, to, to say this to a young child or to a, a teenager or to even an older adult and say, I see this in you. God's given you some, there's greatness in you. I see genius in you. And I pray we might have courage to, to share that with people, Father. Forgive us, Lord. We, we uh, sometimes only see the clouds and the dark, and, and we sometimes see that with people too. Give us eyes to see like you see us, Lord. And Lord, uh, Jesus, you're in our balcony, and you're cheering us on. May we respond by running our race well in your power and by your grace, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.